Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Polygreens podcast. I'm Joe Swartz from Am Hydro, along with Nick Greens of the Nick Greens Grow Team, and this is our last podcast of the year. And uh, we've had a, another, you know, very interesting year, great year. Um, Nick, it's been a lot of fun so far, hasn't it? Yeah, it has been fun. Um, you know, I, I mean, great guest, and I mean, we're continuing on. You know, we we got a great lineup coming. Um, in the new year, you know, Stephen Ritz, uh, we got coming on the show. We got, uh, you know, a bunch and of we, other great, great programs that teachers are working on too, as well. Yeah. And we've got a new series we're going to start about Ask the Experts. And um, we've got a couple of really great uh, names that you you know, um, Paul Brentlinger from Crop King and uh, Chris Higgins of Port Americas are going to be on with us. And we're going to be tackling maybe the top four or five issues in controlled environment ag. And this is where you come in. We are, uh, we've been taking uh, input from people on social media and we're asking you now, please reach out to us on social media. You can email me uh, at joe at amhydro.com or nick at nick at nickgreens.com. Uh, obviously, you've, you've seen this on social media. What we want is to know what is most important to you, what you think are the biggest challenges in controlled environment ag. What are the most important issues coming up? Uh, what are your biggest uh, uh, concerns? What are your biggest uh, points of opportunity? We're going to address all of those, and we're going to start with Paul and Chris, and we're going to address uh, from the perspective of longtime industry, I mean, uh, industry uh, veterans. Paul has been at the helm of Crop King for a very long time. He's grown up in this business. Chris Higgins, uh, similarly, has grown up in this industry. He's been uh, with Hort America's uh, founded it quite a while ago. I don't know. Is it almost years. 30 years with Chris Higgins? It's been a long time. It's been a long time, longer than Chris probably would want to admit. But we're going to have them on and we're going to tackle some of these topics. We're going to talk about urban farming, vertical farming, different types of hydroponic systems, different types of applications. I want to know about the manufacturing side as well, too, with, uh, with very important. Well. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And we're also going to have guests on from the academic and research, and we're going to have commercial growers on. And each time we're going to pick several uh, topics from your input. So that's why it's really important that you make your voices heard, whether it's on LinkedIn or Twitter or uh, other social media. Tell us what you want to hear about. And Nick and I have obviously talked about some of these but we'll certainly also be bringing on leading experts. So while we have a lot of great guests lined up already for the next couple of months uh, to talk about themselves, their businesses, what they do in the industry, we're also going to now start putting together some of these roundtables so we can have groups of experts and we can have just conversations with you. So that's really, to me, one of the most exciting things about you know what's coming up in January and, and February. But um, but Nick, uh, Nick, you want to talk a little bit today about commercial microgreens production? Yeah, this is another microgreen edition. Uh, you know, we, we this is our third one this year. This has been a it's it's been you know everybody keeps on giving me they want to hear more about microgreens, so that's why we keep on doing it in the show. I mean, it's it's some of our biggest uh, download episodes is the microgreen edition that we've been doing. Well, the more you talk about it and walk people through it and feature uh, what other growers are doing in addition to what you're, you're doing yourself, it seems to create more questions because it just takes people farther down that road. And people, uh, I've been talking to a lot of people who, some of which who are some of our growers who have incorporated microgreens production into their 
farming operations using uh, our propagation systems. Some have their own systems. Some have systems that you've designed. So, um, yeah, we'd love to hear more um, from from all the input that you've been getting that kind of builds on on where you started. Yeah, and you know, a, a lot of a lot of what's going on is um, you know I've been seeing all of these uh, ads that I've been getting about like you know, uh, take this course and, and you'll learn everything to, to, to become, you know, successful growing microgreens. And, you know, I don't want people to be lead on by that, that, you know, because it's, that's not true. You can't just start a microgreen business anywhere and just, it's going to be successful. Um, you know, it's just like anything, right. There's a formula behind it. Right. And the formula starts with with the market, just like anything of building a lettuce business or a tomato business. And I mean, I know you've been involved with so many business plans, Joe, that you understand this, that the market needs to be there to sustain the size farm that we, we were presenting to build, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, uh, a farm is a farm. And that's why we have so many different farms and different types of technology, um, different approaches. And all of that is because... It's, it's unique. Uh, it's unique to you personally. It's unique to the area of the country you are, or even just uh, within your city or town where you are. The climate, the customer base, what the markets are looking for. I mean, there's so many different things. I always you know, found it interesting that people would always be kind of clamoring to you know, their notion of controlled environment ag where we need to you know you need to grow obviously lettuce is a big one we need to grow lettuce and we need to grow it in a raft system or an nft system or we need to grow tomatoes because everyone else seems to be growing tomatoes but the the fact of the matter is and and, and people sometimes see this as a challenge but it's really a phenomenal opportunity look at your markets look at what's um either um uh, uh, a need that's not being filled adequately or even going so far. And I think this is where um, some of the things that you were talking about off air, Nick, uh, about people making value added products is you can create your own opportunities and your own markets. I have seen so many people, I've done this a little bit myself, but I've seen so many people innovate different production systems and innovate different crops and how those crops are packaged or sold or incorporated into other products. And, 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 and the packaging does matter. Like if you, if you package your microgreens live in a certain packaging, then they can go on a serpent shelf that you're not competing with the cut microgreen department. Yeah. You know, so there's ways around it, but, but the market has to be there. Is there a market? Is there people buying microgreens in that store or our market or, or wherever they're trying to sell them at. Yeah. It's amazing how many people um, are trying to grow something without really digging deep into their market. They're almost like trying to, to grow a product and then find the market to sell it to, which is really putting the cart before the horse. Um, it's really important. We, I know you've heard us talk about marketing a lot, but at the end of the day, it's what, you know, the, your consumers are looking for and, and, filling that niche. And if you look at any successful business, and this can be, you know, from people who have innovated and become fabulously wealthy and really changed the world as we know it, all the way down to just a simple entrepreneur who's making a little extra money. What they're all doing is they're filling a need. They're solving a problem. And, and that's really how, if you're new to this industry, or if you're really looking to take it to the next level, one of the most important things that you can really do is step back 
and look at those markets. When you've, um, in, in a lot of the, the microgreens businesses that you've run, Nick, as well as some of your clients, do you have kind of a, uh, an, an, I don't want to say a formula, but an ideal configuration as far as how those uh, microgreens are, are packaged and marketed? Or, or are you kind of all over the board? One size of, doesn't fit all. I'm thinking like, you know, say for instance, you're in Illinois. Um, and practically anywhere in Illinois right now, right? Uh, you try to start to sell microgreens to grocery stores in Illinois. You're going to have competition. There, Those supermarkets already have maybe two or three different microgreen producers that they buy from. Because you know the way supermarkets are. Supermarkets don't want to depend on one brand. No, nope, They'll depend do. on three brands. Then they consistently know they're always going to have that. You know, that's why they do that. So- yeah, um, grocery buyers, produce buyers, um, by the, it is in their best interest to have multiple sources and to have multiple sources on hand all the time, which means that they will always be cultivating relationships with many different producers. And um, it's it, it's really faulty thinking to think that, well, because this produce buyer likes me or because I have a cool or innovative product, or maybe I have better products than what's available, that I'm going to kind of step in and take over that market share and, and hold on to it. And that's just not the case. Yeah. And Fresh- don't put that in your business plan. That shouldn't be yeah. in your business plan. Yeah. 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 There's been, I mean, we, and we've talked about some of these, um, uh, boutique consulting, urban ag consulting firms and controlled environment ag consulting firms that have really no experience in production and marketing of, of these products or, or have any real experience in the fresh produce industry. And that's really, um, that, that, that's harmed the industry in a lot of ways. That's, that's led growers, again, to kind of, you know, look at the, their, their direction of their business um, you know, backwards and not understanding the marketplace and not understanding that regardless of where you are and what you're doing, the fresh produce industry is always highly competitive, fast paced, and no one has kind of a cornered market on anything. And, and some of the biggest names in the industry, Gotham Greens, Bright Farms, you know, these are very well established growers who are constantly innovating, not only what they're the marketing, what they're marketing and how they're marketing it, but being keenly aware of the, the fact that markets change, that customer demands change, and they're always looking to, to serve that. And I know in micro- and I, think what, I think the cool thing about those companies, Joe, is that I really like a lot is um, they put their relationships uh, with with the, the vendors or with the grocery stores first. I, I really like that. They really have a close relationship on on who they're working with, you know, and I think Whole Foods is a one, a, a really big partner of theirs as well. Oh, sure. Yeah. And here in the Northeast, I mean, there are several uh, grocery chains that I shop at and Gotham is, you know, here in the Northeast, they've got a really great facility in Rhode Island, for example, and they're constantly innovating and working with these, you know, small, mid-sized, and large international grocery chains to provide, um, you know, a, a good customer service that goes far beyond just selling a product, and that's really important. If you look at uh, in the tomato industry, you look at Sunset Produce, you look at some of these really big innovative producers. Again, 
their products are always improving, their packaging is always improving. And these are big products that occupy a big piece of, uh, of the real estate in a produce department, any, any grocery store. When we start looking at microgreens, these are a very highly specialized product, a niche product, certainly one that in terms of volume doesn't have a lot of market share. I mean, how, you know, compared to per capita consumption of leafy greens or certain herbs or tomatoes or peppers, you put microgreens into that mix and microgreens is minuscule, almost non-existent in comparison. So that just means that the marketing and sales component is so much more important. I think it's, I think it's one of those that people want to take home and, and it's not something you should base your business off the restaurants. You know, of mm-hmm. course, uh, we learned through uh, going through some pandemics that, you know, you shouldn't base your, uh, your restaurant sales as part of your whole business plan. And you should be diverse uh, what you're, when you're selling, uh, you know, your microgreens. And I think microgreens is one of those things. You can be in a market, Joe, where you're getting 40 bucks a pound and you're just crushing it for years and, and there's nobody competing with your market. And then you can be in a market where you're barely getting 12 bucks a pound and you're not even making money, you know? I found too that, that it requires a lot of education on your part to educate the, um, the your retail partner in terms of how to handle it, how to merchandise it. Microgreens are certainly one that, that can have a limited shelf life, especially if it's mishandled or not refrigerated properly. I mean, that's really something that you don't, and this holds true with every product that you could grow and sell, but the sale uh, or the relationship and the involvement doesn't stop when you drop off that product at the grocery store or the distribution center. I mean, that's really kind of just the beginning because how they handle it is going to, you know, and how they merchandise it is going to have a huge impacts on your future sales. You know, those are things that are not within your control to a certain degree yet, you know, just leaving it to chance or leaving it up to, to someone else really can be disastrous. And I've seen that happen a lot. So, with microgreens or any other uh, items that you might have in, in your, your operation is, you know, ed- learning yourself how that product needs to be handled and seeing what the best ways to merchandise it is. And then working with your partners in, in, in the retail end of it to really make sure that these products are handled well, they're merchandised properly, which again, really goes to what ultimately what your sales are going to be, you know, not only what's what you're selling right now, but what you're going to be selling down the road. Yeah. Don't, don't marketing should be based off nutrients and, and how healthy that it, and and make claims that are out there because right now there's a bunch of tests that are already been done on microgreens, Joe, and you can get a bunch of, uh, you know, you know, you can find that all over the internet from the USDA to NASA Mm -hmm. done, done their, uh, you know, research on it. So. Sure. The proof's there on, on which ones have more uh, nutrients than others. But if someone's telling you they all have more nutrients than the, the mature uh, uh, product, that's not, that's false. You know, not all of them contain more than the, than the mature product. So what are you saying? You're saying there's a lot of BS in the industry, a lot of misinformation. Yeah, there's just a lot of false claims, you know, people saying that, you know, like everything is just better, you know, it's, it, it you know, just because it was grown hydroponically or in soil or whatever, doesn't mean that it's healthy and it contains the nutrients. The only way you can figure out the nutrients is by putting it in the lab and testing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And understanding uh, more about 
what you're buying as a consumer uh, and, and more about your grower. This is why this is in, in my uh, almost 40 years now in the produce industry, one of the things that, that has been one of the most profound changes is that people really now, consumers um, not only understand a lot more about the food they're buying in terms of how it's grown, uh, what some of these foods are nutritionally, um, how they're used in cooking, but also too the the support and awareness of the farm where it's grown. That's why locally grown has become such a a very important, if not the key purchasing criteria for a lot of consumers, is they want to know specifically where the product was grown. When I was you know new in the industry and I was you know starting to navigate the marketing chains and you know different supermarket chains here in the uh, Northeast. No one cared where it came from. They literally wanted to make sure it looked pretty and that it was price competitive. And that's it. That is really- And and it was going to be ready the day you said it was going to be ready. Yeah, absolutely. But now it it is completely stood on its head. Now everyone wants to know where this came from, who's growing it, which is great. And social media, of course, has had a huge hand in that. Instagram for sure has a big, I mean, Instagram was like, You know, they were posting microgreen pictures on Instagram years and years ago. You know, they were ahead of it. You know, now just every chef and everyone just wants to post every meal they're having, you know? Yeah. Almost everybody I've talked to who purchases specialty greens items like that are acutely aware of where they're, you know, where they've grown, where they've come from. There's so much brand loyalty. You know, they want to buy this brand of microgreens specifically because they know of the grower or they follow the grower. They Especially know in places like Denver where like you can't get fresh stuff. You know that. Where where are they yeah. where's it growing? You know, where's the forest <laughs> in yeah. Denver? Yeah. I mean uh, the the opportunities there for you as a grower are tremendous. But there are a few, you know, obviously uh, there's more market research and it can be easy. We we've done podcasts where we've talked about that. Um, you know, informal market research, a lot of observation. That's that's really the best place to start. And so when you start looking at some of these products, understanding what the market is looking for and how you can best adjust your production to meet that is going to be really important. And, and again, you know, not getting caught up in a lot of the claims and the hype. We were talking off air um, uh, from a production standpoint about microgreens and um, a certain someone who will remain nameless uh, promoting their micro is it a course or a system that they're they're selling i, I think, I it's, think a it's a bunch of things i think once they get them on a course they just probably hook them in and hey folks uh, i'm standing right here in front of this microgreen system that you can give see me a thousand dollars and i will make you famous send me send me a check and you can be making two thousand dollars a week right at in the comfort of your own home and if you act now i'll <laughs> throw in double the amount of information <laughs> We'll give you two systems for the price of one, but you know we joke about that. But that's really um, you know dangerous and and not helpful. So so when you're looking again at you know becoming a producer, there's a lot of resources out there, a lot of credible resources. Look to people who are doing. I mean, it. there's not- there's there's several microgreen books that have been written. They were written 2012, Joe, 2010, like. Go get one of those books. And I'm pretty sure there's probably one that was written in 2003, you know, like just go get one of those microgreen books and just, you know, dive into that. And I think that's a a best place to start and spend, you know, five bucks to 10 bucks on that book. 
Yeah. Or you can buy my book for $19.99 because I invented microgreens back in 1874. And then the course is only $9.99.99 a month. <laughs> and if you buy now, you get a, a free tote bag to go with that. So anyway, um, we like to joke around about, about these things, but they can be very serious subjects because, again, it affects your bottom line. It affects your ability to get good, credible, growing information. It also impedes your um, awareness of what's going on in the marketplace and the industry itself. So the, the information is out there. And if, if you already have a market and you're selling lettuce, then most likely you probably can sell microgreens easy if you already got a market buying lettuce off of you. Because yeah. I mean, My, they go hand microgreens go with lettuce. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. If you're if you're already producing leafy greens or or looking at producing leafy greens, microgreens are an amazing companion product. Building a business model around microgreens is pretty tough. I mean, o- only a few growers have done that successfully, um, and they were brilliant at marketing and and production. So um, and funding too. I've the ones that I've known had they they had three hundred thousand dollars to start with. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. So, so we're we're looking ahead now. Um, twenty twenty two is upon us, and it's kind of scary. So there's a lot of interesting things going on in the industry, just as itself. But obviously, COVID and things going on around the world, both related to energy to supply chain. And the um, delivery service. Time. I mean, I'm liking it, Joe. I'm, I'm kind of liking the whole, how do we get the food and the farming products to the, to the people too. And a lot of people are doing this home delivery service and I think it's working for a lot of people. I'm, I'm not thinking it's the final answer. Don't, I'm not an expert on delivery service. Please don't, don't take this wrong. Um, I just I have there's the something answer. there to explore. Yeah, I do. I have the final answer. And that is that there is no final answer, nor will there ever be. So, uh, we're all kind of drawn, and I admit I've done that too. We're all kind of drawn to that one solution, and there are none. So, um, you know, looking at, at different opportunities coming down the pike. But what do you see? What have you been seeing, Nick, that that kind of excites you for 2022 in terms of food production and distribution? I, th- I think um, people's awareness of just eating healthy and wanting to be healthy. Um, I think it's just bigger than ever right now. I mean, yeah, every year people want to join the gym. You know the this is the best. I mean, January is like, I think the sales of like snack foods and Coca-Cola and all that. I think this is the time of year the sales go down yep. because and everybody's trying to, you know, like, I'm not going to drink no more Coke or I'm not going to be healthy for. And but then by February, March is when it starts climbing back up. So I enjoyed some quiet time in the gym this morning because, you know, at five o'clock in the morning, there aren't many people in the gym. But next week, the gym, even at that time, will be packed. So everyone, everyone over the next couple of weeks will be uh, getting on the bikes and lifting the weights and doing all kinds of things. And, um, and that starts to slide away. But I, I think you're right. I think that the pandemic, for a lot of reasons, both from a food security standpoint, um, an economic standpoint, um, but, but a general health. And that's, I think, I think one of the things that that with, you know, we're going on two years now with COVID. And I think that there really hasn't been enough discussion about health and wellness. And nutrition is such an important part of that. And as CEA growers, we've got a a tremendous opportunity and a responsibility to be putting out um, high quality products, pesticide-free products. Um, Because, you know, ultimately, and I I think we've seen this, and obviously 
COVID has become so ridiculously political and people have really retreated to their sides. And I've seen so many people, you know, fighting over, you know, so many different things related to it. What's important? What's not? What should we do? What should we not do? Who's doing what? It gets crazy. So at the end of the day, our industry is, is, you know, going to play a very big role in, you know, kind of changing how we produce and distribute food, but also how we impact human health. So I think that that going forward, education uh, as it relates to nutrition, promotion uh, of, of better nutrition, better eating. I think people, like you say, I think people are getting it. But as growers, as people who are looking to operate these businesses, I think that there's some responsibility and some opportunity to educate people even more so. And to encourage word of mouth, right? If you know about microgreens already, have you told five people about it? Like, just take the time and tell five people and tell them to tell five people. That's a great, that's a great point. I I used to, when when my kids were younger and um, we used to go into the, you know, elementary school to pick them up and be, you know, talking to parents and, you know, there was lots of different parent groups and, 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 and lots of people coming in and, you know, people were always interested. They knew what I did and they were interested in, you know, you know, in the middle of winter that, you know, we've got a greenhouse here in North Amherst full of, you know, fresh produce and, and just talking to people about that and talking to people about our production uh, methods. And this kind of goes to our earlier conversation about social media and how people get to know their farmers. And so, so it can be as simple, obviously social media is a great tool, but it can be as simple as talking to some of the people in your community. I know people that, that talk to um, people in their church groups, um, there's different social groups, sports, even libraries, even libraries. Oh, absolutely. Too. absolutely. I'm actually going to be speaking, um, next week at an elderly, um, community, uh, in my town. And they're very interested in, in knowing about, you know, what, what, you know, they're hearing about controlled environment ag and, you know, newer farming techniques and all that. And so, um, they've already sent me lists of questions and, and it's that's very awesome. That's, that's amazing. No, that's yeah. literally amazing. I, I really like that a lot. And so as growers, um, you know, that's, that's something that I think that we all need to do a better job of, or at least to do more of. And so if you're a grower out there, or if even if you're looking to become a grower, talking to anyone you can, I mean, obviously you have to, within, within limits, um, there's always that creepy factor when you start talking to people um, too too much and too often. So go out there, talk to people, let people know what you're doing. And um, and we've got some great things coming, and we're really looking forward to talking to you more about them. Um, Stephen Ritz is going to be coming on next. We're going to be having great conversations with Stephen, finding out what he's doing. And um, please continue to send in your questions. So um, over the next couple of weeks, ask the experts. We're going to want to hear the topics that you want to hear discussed. And we're going to have some roundtables with some longtime industry veterans. We're going to be talking to some more people in academia. And we're going to be talking to real growers. So until next time, everyone, thanks very much for spending some time with us. And we look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Have a great day, everyone.